Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of the Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Last week, we heard from Pastor Brian as he went over verses 1 through 10 in the book of Ephesians. This week, Pastor Brian continues in chapter 2 of the same book, going through verses 11 through 20. Now, with all that said and done, let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Brian. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys all doing? Um, today we're continuing in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. If you were not here for the beginning part of the chapter, uh, verses 1 through 10, what we looked at last week was that uh, Paul is describing to us where we once were, and where we once were is in our transgressions and in our sins we were separated from God, and that God has brought us to where we are, which is in Christ Jesus, that we have been redeemed through his work. And he did this with a purpose. He did this that way we would walk in the good works which he had prepared beforehand for us. And as we get into the second half of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to see kind of the same exact pattern emerge. Uh, Paul is going to talk about where we once were. He's going to talk about where we are. And he's going to talk about why that is. And so let's go ahead and read the passage real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And we will get into it. Starting at verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So when you are, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. And so again, we see this same pattern. Paul is talking about where we once were, that we were once far off from God, and that we have been brought near to God, and that this is for a purpose, and that purpose is the building up of his holy temple. God is not simply bringing us near to be inactive Christians. He's bringing us near to be active Christians, being built into a temple for his own dwelling. And so this particular part is going to be reiterating something we saw in the first part of the chapter, which is we were once far off and now are now brought near, but he's putting it within the context of the divide that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. He wants us to remember that there was once a division, and there was an issue that was uh, common of this time of the group called the circumcision, and this group uh, wanted to divide themselves from the Gentiles, and they said, well, you cannot be part of this new promise until you become part of the first promise. And so what Paul is doing here is, one, he's dispelling that thought 
that there's this division that exists. But he also wants to remind the Ephesians that this divide did exist beforehand, that there did exist a time where they were without the promise. And so let's go ahead and pick up again at verse 11, and we're going to be looking at where we once were in uncircumcision. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so this divide comes up, the circumcision and the uncircumcision. And so the uncircumcision is all the Gentiles. Everyone who is not Jew is in the uncircumcision. And everyone who is of the circumcision is the Jews. And this is because of the promise that God gave to them of, and the, the sign that he gave to them of this promise, which was circumcision. We see when, when uh, God talks to Abraham about this promise, he gives him this sign in Genesis chapter 17. Starting at verse 6, it says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations from you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations and for an everlasting covenant to be God, or sorry, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said to further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And so the Jews were correct that the circumcision was a sign that they had the promises of God. And there was a divide that existed throughout history of the Jewish people before Christ. There was an intentional division between them and all the other nations. And God did this with a purpose. He wanted the nations to look at Israel to see that they were different, to see that they were set apart, to know that their God was the one true God. But this division kept them from God. This division meant that the Jews had access to something that the Gentiles did not have access to. And so the Jews were the people of the promises of God. We see in Romans chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, Who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises? Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever? Amen. And so the Jews did have something that the Gentiles did not. They had every promise of God. They were God's chosen people and God set them apart for a reason. And so the Jews received many things. They received the law and the prophets. That is something that the Gentiles did not have. The Jews had the law and the prophets. They also received the presence of God in the holy temple. And they received the sacraments of the holy temple. You see, the Jews had the sacrificial system, which they could have their sins forgiven uh, temporarily by the sacrificial system, by the sacrificing of animals. The Gentiles did not have that. And the Jews had, out of their lineage, the promise of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is only to them that this Christ would come, only through their lineage. And so the Gentiles were left out of this promise. They were left without a hope. They were left without God. And he even says in here that they are without God. The, Jew, the Gentiles were not part of this promise. They did not have a promise of a people, a land, a priesthood, a kingdom, a nation, or a king. 
None of it was theirs. It all only belonged to the Jews. But what Paul is going to be telling us is that this thing that once separated us no longer separates us. And so he refers to this circumcision as a circumcision of the flesh done by human hands. And he does this with a purpose. He wants us to realize that even though the the Jews divided themselves out by calling themselves the circumcision, he wanted the Gentiles to know this promise that they had, this sign that they have, it is simply a fleshly thing. It is an outward sign of something God has done. And there is a new circumcision that we have in Jesus Christ. There is a new sign of the promise, a new sign of the covenant. And that sign is not the fleshly circumcision. And so what he wants the Gentiles to know, what he wants the Ephesians to know is that do not um, be persuaded by these people that tell you, you must be circumcised to be saved because that is no longer the case. In Romans chapter two, Paul says this in verse 28. He says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. And so we no longer need to go through what the Jews had to go through. We no longer have to be a part of that promise because that covenant has ended. The promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and we now have a new promise and a new covenant in Christ Jesus. And the seal of that promise, the sign of that promise, is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12 says this, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so as I've said several times in my messages that we were buried with Christ and we were raised with him. And so when we do this, when Christ circumcises us by the spirit, what he's saying is not there is no outward fleshly symbol of this promise, but there is now an inward change. There is an inward sign. We receive the Holy Spirit. And so this new circumcision is not one that's going to divide us. This new circumcision is the one that's going to unite us. It's the one that's going to tear down the walls. It's going to tear down the divisions that once existed between Jew and Gentile. And so Paul first reminds them that they, the Gentiles, were without God. There was a time, he wants to remind them, there was a time that you were not a part of these promises. There was a time where there was an, a real and existing division between Jew and Gentile. And so he tells them that they were without God. And what's interesting about this word is, um, the word is atheoi, which can be translated to atheist. And it might be weird to think of the Gentiles as atheists because the Gentiles had many gods. They had a plurality of gods. They served all the gods. And there's even one time where Paul goes and he tells them uh, there's a, a sign for the unknown God. And he tells them, I'm going to tell you of this unknown God that you worship ignorantly. And so there were many gods of the Gentiles. Um, the Romans and the Greeks had many, a plurality of gods that they served. And so how is it that, that Paul here can call them atheists? Well, it's because the gods they served were not true. They were idols. They were inventions of the human mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, he says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. And so while the, the Gentiles had many, many gods, what Paul is saying is they're effectively atheists, because the gods they serve cannot save. The gods they serve cannot do anything. They are 
they are wooden idols. They are made of physical things. They cannot save the people. And so even though the Gentiles served these plurality of gods, they're effectively atheists. They were without God. And so Paul continues in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we need to understand how this is. How is it that the Jews could have all the promises of God, yet we are saved as well? Well, what has been woven throughout the scriptures, what has been woven throughout the Old Testament is a promise that one day this promise will be for us as well. And we can see this going all the way back to Abraham again, the one who received the original promise, the one who received the sign of circumcision. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, it says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so there is a promise for us, but it was not coming about until Christ came. It was Christ who was able to bring about the unification between Jew and Gentile. It was Christ who brought about the promise for all of us. And so we were once without this promise, but throughout the Old Testament, we see that God has promised to us that we would be blessed too. He tells us that I'm going to make a people out of those which are not a people. I'm going to make a nation out of those which are not a nation. And so he calls us out as his own and he grafts us into Israel so that the true Israel are those who believe. And so the Jews who no longer believe in Christ or who do not believe in Christ are taken out of that tree. And the, the Gentiles who do believe are put into that tree. So that way the true body of Israel is being built up in Christ Jesus. But we had to wait for Christ. The Gentiles did not have this promise outside of Christ. And so the Jews had the promise before Christ. The Gentiles had it when Christ came. And so we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 20, it says, For as many are the promise of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God and also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. We now are able to receive the Holy Spirit because of what Christ did. And so all those promises, all those things given to the Jews were pointing to Christ. All the sacraments, all the religious practices, all the temple practices were all pointing to Christ. And so they had access to it in a shadow form. They had what was foreshadowing Christ. And we have the real thing with Christ having come. And so Paul tells us that while we were once far off, and this far off is referring to anyone who is not a Jew, while we were once far off, we are brought near. Isaiah 57, 19, he even gives us this promise then. He says, creating the praise of his of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. And so we can be thankful to God that this promise was weaved throughout the Old Testament, that while the Jews had the letter of the law, while the Jews had the law and the prophets, that Christ, or God this whole time knew that he would be bringing those who are far off near to him. And so Paul is reminding us this, that we have been brought near. Even Peter, before he realized that this message was for the Gentiles, preached this in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. And this he said, For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Now, when Peter spoke these words to the Jews in Jerusalem, he still did not know that this message was for the Gentiles. And it wasn't until later in his ministry that God told him, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And he was sent out to the Gentiles. And so we can see that by the power of the Holy Spirit, even Peter was preaching words that he did not yet understand. 
that this promise is for us as well. And so we were once far off. We once were without the promises of God, but we have been brought near. Continuing in verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And so he starts off here with he himself. He's talking about Christ. It is in him alone that we can have this peace. And this is why he's the one that ushered it in for us. Without Christ, the Gentiles would still be without God. If Jesus is not the Christ, then we are serving no one. We have no hope in this world. Because it is through Christ that we can have this peace with God. We see this all the way back in the promises in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Giving the promise of the coming Messiah, he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so all of the peace that we can have with God comes from Christ. It is he alone that accomplished it. It is he alone that was able to break down the dividing wall. It is he alone that was able to bring the promise to us. And so we can be thankful forever to God for this. And so what he's doing is he's taking down that dividing wall and he's making both groups into one. So there is no longer Jew, there is no longer Gentile, there is no distinction between us because we are all being made one in Christ. Galatians chapter 6 Verse 15 and 16, he says, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be on them and upon the Israel of God. And so while some of the Jews still wanted to have this division of the circumcision and the uncircumcision, what Paul is saying here is that there is now no division. There is no group of the uncircumcision and group of the circumcision. You are now one. This, this sign of circumcision is no longer necessary. It was only a symbol of the first promise. And there is a new symbol. There's a new sign of the promise. And so God, or Christ came in and he got rid of that dividing wall. And this dividing wall has a, a multiple meaning here. One, it's talking about the, the laws and the things that the Jews had. But also in the temple at this time, there was a literal dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so there was an outer court and an inner court. And the Gentiles could only go to the outer courts. And the Jews could come to the inner court. And this was a symbol to symbolize that the Gentiles were far off and the Jews were near to God. And so what Paul is saying is that that very dividing wall is being taken down. It's no longer the Jews alone who have access to God, but we all now have access to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, there is no division. We're no longer the ones out on the outskirts. We're no longer the ones seeking after God with no hope. Because Christ has come and he has undone the dividing wall. And it says that he's abolishing this, the flesh, in, or sorry, he abolished in his flesh the enmity. And so this enmity that existed between us is what we see in the Old Testament that divided the new or the, the Jews from the Gentiles. And this is the, the feasts, the sacrifices, the circumcision, the washings, the abstaining from foods and things like that. All these things were signs that the Jews were different. All of these things were signs that the Jews 
were set apart by God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God did this with intention to set them apart. So that way all the world could look at Israel and know that their God is the one true God. And so God did bring this division intentionally. Excuse me. We need to be careful when we talk about the abolishment of the things in the Old Testament, though, because what God did not abolish is the moral law. He did not undo the law itself. Rather, he came to fulfill the law. And we see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so what some like to do with this is they try to say, well, you know, all that stuff that used to us, that's all gone and it doesn't apply at all to us. But really there is a morality behind the laws that were given that still applies today. And so, for example, the Ten Commandments still apply today, and I think that's one that most people go, yeah, well, of course the Ten Commandments still apply today. But even in the other laws, the, 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 sac- the ceremonial laws and the other kind of societal laws that the Jews had still have moral teachings for us that we can learn from and know how to be more moral, like God wants us to be moral. And so one that, Peter, or sorry, one that Paul brings up is, um, do not muzzle the ox. And so we might think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't own any ox. How does that apply to me? And so essentially what he's getting at in that passage is you do not keep a wage from those who are working. And so there's a moral behind the law that while it doesn't strictly apply to us, we're not going to be worrying about muzzling our oxen. The law still applies to us. There's a moral behind it. And so all the law has a morality to it that we can learn from and that we can still apply to this very day. But what he undid was the necessity, the necessity of the letter of the law. And we're now keeping to the spirit of the law. And so there are certain things that were undone through this. We know that the cleansing laws and the um, dietary laws are done away with. This is in Acts chapter 10 when God comes to Peter and he says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And so those laws are done away with that. The sacrificial laws are done away with through Christ because Christ is the spotless lamb of God. And so when Christ came and he died, that was the ultimate and the once for all sacrifice. There's no need for further sacrifice Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8 through 10 says this. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offering and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so if we attempt to follow the letter of the law of the sacrificial system, what we're saying is, well, Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. I need to make further sacrifice in order to atone for sin. And so we no longer need the sacrificial system because Christ fulfilled it to its end. He is the once for all sacrifice, and we no longer need to do those things. And as for the ceremonies and um, events that were uh, commanded of the Jews to follow, well, in Romans chapter 14, Paul tells us this. He tells us that one man regards one day over another, and another man regards every day the same. He tells us that each man must be convinced in his own mind that what he does in that day is to glorify God. And so 
For example, if you want to celebrate Christmas, make sure you're celebrating Christmas to the glory of God. If you don't want to celebrate Christmas, make sure you're not celebrating it to the glory of God. And so we cannot come at one another and say, well, this day is holy. You must celebrate it because I think it's holy. The Bible says each day you celebrate uh, or each day that you live is to be to the glory of God, whether it's in celebration or not. And so that part of the law is done away with. So these things that were dividing us once before are no longer there. Christ is making us into one new man. There are no distinctions between us. Romans chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We are now brought into one man because of what Christ has done. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So once again, we see this language. We are now made heirs. Why? Because we are adopted into the household of God. We were once far off and we have been brought near through the reconciliation of God. We were once not part of the promise, but we are now the true Israel because we are being grafted in by Christ. It is the work that he has done in reconciling us to God that has made us into one flesh. And so the church is meant to be united because of our reconciliation in Christ. The thing that unites us is not practice. The thing that unites us is not religious ceremony. The thing that unites us is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of that, you and I, as well as all the other Christians on this earth, are one. And we are to work as one body. Now they're uh, kind of jumping out of this topic for a brief moment to address a modern application of this. If we want to look at how people are attempting to combat racism today, well, the answer lies right here. And so there are two things we need to understand about racism. One, there is one human race, not many races within humanity. And so when we talk about people being different races, what we're doing is we're not recognizing that we are equal in the sight of God. We are all created in the image of God. And we are creating divisions that do not exist in God's eyes. And so what is the sin of racism? Well, really what this is, is it's other sins that we're combining together and calling it racism. And so there's envy and there's greed and there's pride that these sins are breeding what we know as racism. And so it is prideful to think that I am better than someone else based off of an innate quality within me that they don't have. It is envy to think that someone is an oppressor to me and I am oppressed. It is greed to want to take from other people that, that it is not my property and I want to take from them. And so all these things kind of come together and it does breed hatred between different people. But we already know hatred is sin. And so if we actually want to address racism the way the Bible tells us to, one, we have to recognize that anyone who is in Christ is one with us. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they come from. We are all one. The largest dividing wall that has ever existed in the body was between Jew and Gentile, and that has been undone. And so we cannot have any other divisions. Secondly, we also need to make sure that we don't allow the world to influence how we address these topics. Because what the world wants to do is they want to make the problem go away by making more of the problem. They aren't addressing this the way God has us address it. And there are many churches who are trying to bring in worldly ideologies in an attempt to combat this problem. 
when really the answer is right here. We are reconciled to each other through Christ. We are made one in him. And so we should be able to work together looking past even who we once were or what we once did. The sins of our past do not affect us now because we are in Christ. God has forgiven them. And so we can work together for the glory of God through Christ and through the work that he did on the cross. The enmity that once existed between any of us has been put on the cross with our sin, with Christ. And it is because of him that we can now be one. And so let us work together as one. Continuing in verse 17, he says this. He said, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off or who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the father. And so that's speaking of Christ who came on the cross and he preached peace to us. And this preaching of peace is uh, bringing or announcing good news. Christ came and announced the good news that he is our reconciliation to God, that he is the one who has accomplished this, that he is the one who is taking on our sins and that he is the one who is bringing those who are far off and bringing us near. And so again, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. What's interesting to look at, though, is how this message came out. So during the ministry of Jesus Christ, there was still not the time yet for that division to go down. And so when Jesus is sending out his apostles in Matthew chapter 10, he tells them this. In verse 5, he says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is because the promise was first for the Jew. And Paul agrees with this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so this promise was for the Jew first and then for the Gentile, but it is now one flesh, or sorry, one spirit. We all have access in one spirit to God the Father. And this is an amazing thing. I think we need to really understand what it means for us to have access to God through the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When it says that we have access to the Father and the Spirit, this means we do not need to be ashamed of approaching God. We no longer have to fall on our face because what God has done through Christ is he has redeemed us. He has given to us his righteousness. And so we no longer have to have fear it tells us to approach the throne of God with confidence because we will receive mercy and we will receive grace. And this is for everyone, again, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. And so we were once far off and we have been brought near. The dividing wall has been taken down. We are all now one in Christ Jesus. And why is it that he is doing this? But what God is doing with this is he's building up his holy temple. And so the same way with last week where we looked at, he's doing all this for us to walk in the good works. Again, he's also doing this so that we are being built into his holy temple. Continuing in verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so once again, he repeats here, you are no longer strangers, you are no longer aliens. You are no longer far off. You have been brought near and you are fellow citizens with the saints. And so we were formerly unworthy and we've been brought into a place of distinguished honor. We've been brought into a place where we can approach God. We are brought into a place where we can build his kingdom by his Holy Spirit 
We are brought into a place where we can serve him as his people. Philippians chapter three, verse 20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're with God and we are of his household. Once again, we are adopted into the family of God. We were once not his children and we are now his children through adoption. We are of God's household, Jew and Gentile alike. And so our citizenry is in heaven and we are of God's household and we are doing this for the glory of God to build his temple. And so he talks here of the foundation that is being built upon by the apostles and the prophets. And we really need to understand what this takes because, or what this means, because there are people who do not understand this and they place the apostles as the foundation of the church. The uh, One more specific example is the Catholic church who places Peter as the rock of the church. But we cannot understand it this way. When it talks about the apostles and the prophets being the foundation, it's not saying that they themselves are the foundation, but they have laid down the foundation for us. And it, it goes on to say that Christ is that cornerstone. Christ is that foundation. And this is because when the apostles and prophets speak, they are not speaking on their own initiative. They are not the ones with the power, but it's the Holy Spirit that empowers them to speak. We see this in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. It says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no one, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so when the apostles, when the apostles and the prophets spoke of God, they're not speaking of their own initiative. They aren't setting up themselves as a foundation, but they are setting up Christ as the foundation. It is Christ who is the cornerstone of the church. It is Christ who enables us to grow in the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, the scriptures call the apostles and the prophets builders, that they are the ones building the holy temple. And I think Peter or Paul makes this incredibly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 of what the builders are doing. In verse 10 and 11, he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I lay a, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so the foundation of the church is Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And so when the apostles and prophets are building that foundation, what they're doing is the Holy Spirit is influencing them to write and to speak according to the Spirit. And so the foundation they are laying is not themselves, but it is Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is the one which the whole building is centered upon and it's through him that it can stand. Without a good cornerstone, a building will crumble. And so Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He is the one we rely on. And so the apostles and prophets come in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching of this cornerstone. And so they laid the foundation, not of themselves, but they laid the foundation, which is Christ. And again, we see this throughout the scriptures, this, this talking about Christ being the cornerstone. Psalm 118, 22. It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isaiah 28, 16 says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. And so passages like this are throughout the Old Testament and they're even quoted in the New Testament. We see this in Matthew 21, Acts 4, 1 Peter chapter 2. And what they're saying is that Christ is this cornerstone. 
the one that was long prophesied about, this cornerstone that the Jews would reject, is going to come, and he's going to be what the church is built upon. This is also why in 1 Corinthians it tells us that Christ is a stumbling block to the Jew because they are the ones who rejected Christ. And so the cornerstone is Christ. The whole church is built upon him. We can set no other foundation. When we try to set another foundation, it will fail, it will falter. So we're setting a foundation on something that is not God. And so Christ must be the cornerstone. And so continuing in verse 21, Christ is that cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. And so it's important here that we see that we are meant to be fitted together. The body of Christ is not meant to be separated apart, working in, in disarray, kind of going out and doing our own things. The body of Christ is meant to work together. We're being fitted together and growing into the holy temple of the Lord. We are meant to work in unison. And this is, again, why Christ did away with that dividing wall. Christ didn't want the circumcision and the uncircumcision working in two disparate groups. He wanted them coming together by the power of his Holy Spirit to do the will of God on this earth. And so when we go, as chapter or verse 10 tells us, to walk in the works that God has prepared beforehand for us, we're not walking in that alone. We're walking in that in the whole power of the Holy Spirit and with the church in unison. Our work is to build the kingdom of God. Our work is to build the holy temple of the Lord. And so you and I are the stones in that temple, and you and I are being fitted together, and we must work in unison. And this is because we... Uh, we fulfill the same role as the old temple. So the old temple was built, and what it did was it housed God. It was the presence of God dwelt within it. And so it was holy because God was holy. And there was sacrifices done in the temple. And so the same is true for us today. We are the temple of God. God dwells within us in the Holy Spirit. We are holy because he is holy. And we perform spiritual sacrifices to God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says this, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand our role as the church. Our role as the church is to be that temple where God dwells and we're being built into that. And so what God calls us to is to work according to his will, to do the work that he has prepared for us and to do it in unison as the church. We should not be divided as the church. We should not have um, uh, quarrels between us. We should not have these little things that are keeping us from working with one another. We need to be united because we are the body of Christ. And there is only one body, not many. And so we are that dwelling place of God in the spirit. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been brought, bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Christ has bought you with a price. And this is why he is making you into his temple. He has bought you and he is laying you down as another stone in his temple. And so we are called to work towards this. We are called to be obedient to God. We are called to unify in what Christ has done in us. And so all the things that have caused division amongst Christians, all the things that we allow to divide us, need to be done away with. We should not look upon one another with contempt. 
We need to be looking upon one another the way God sees us. We are one in him. And so there are many things that I think that Christians have allowed to divide them. We, we create uh, denominational differences. So there's Baptist, Presbyterian, non-denominational. There's other as well. And there are particulars of doctrine that we have. So there's Calvinist and Armenian. There's um, eschatology differences. So are you post-millennialism, pre-millennialism? And so um, what's, what's okay is we can have these kind of divisions as long as they don't actually divide us. We can have disagreements. We can have debates on, um, on liturgy and things like that. And so, you know, some people like to go to church and like to dress up, and other people like to be more casual. And so you can go to a church that dresses up if you like that, and you can go to a church that's more casual if you like that. But if you then say, I cannot commune with those people because of the way they do church, that is where we go wrong. We cannot create these artificial divisions. We should not create these artificial divisions. And there's really only one thing that's going to divide people in the church, and that is if someone is attempting to lay a foundation other than Christ. We previously went through the book of Jude and we talked about how we need to keep an eye out for false teaching in the church. And so the only thing that should divide Christians is false teaching. And if it is not false teaching, then it should not divide us. As long as we are in line on the cores of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we are saved by faith, that it is through the work of Christ that we are saved, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is, is God himself. If we can agree on these core things, then we can work together in unison in the gospel. And again, we can still have some of these dividing things where we kind of like to do things a little bit different from one another. But we still need to be able to come together with those different groups, knowing that we are all one in, in Christ to work together for his glory. And I think especially in, in today's age, it is incredibly important for us to keep this in mind. As the world's ideologies are creeping into the church, we now more than ever need to have unison with those who think slightly differently than us in Christ. And so we can unify with the people who do church a little differently than us as long as we are together on the cores of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for bringing us all together in you. When, when we look around at Christians, really there is nothing that unites us, God, outside of you. There is nothing that would have brought us together outside of you, God, and it is because of who you are, God, that we are made one. And so, God, I pray that as your church continues throughout this age, that we continue to keep our eyes on you, God, and we continue to uh, unite in order to uh, continue the good fight that you have sent us to fight, God, that we would unite in the gospel, preaching your word to the world, God, because the world needs your word. God, I pray that you would... Um, even amongst the people in this church, God, or those who might hear this online, God, that we would uh, be convicted of anything that we've allowed to divide us from other Christians. Any of the things that we've said, well, I cannot sit with those people. God, I pray that you would get rid of that thinking in us. It is our pride and it is our greed and it is our envy, God, that we allow ourselves to divide in the church. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, uniting us in who you are, God, and in nothing else. Because God, it is you who broke down that dividing wall. God, it is you who has made a way for us. It is you who are making us into the holy temple. And so God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would lean on you for our unity, God, for understanding who you are and what we are here to do in you, God. We thank you in your name.
Amen. That is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this teaching, share it with others and tune in next week to hear more as we continue through the book of James. If you are interested and would like to find out more information on our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find more information. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we will see you here next time.